Chapter 31 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 31 A Surprise. The severe mental suffering that he endured during the half hour that was occupied in walking from Brown's Hotel to the office of Mr. Emerson may be easily conceived. On reaching that gentleman's place of business, Maurice learned that he was not within, but would probably return immediately. The young vicomte was painfully conscious that the clerks answered his inquiries with a pointedly cold brevity. He saw them glance at each other, and one of them shrugged his shoulders, and gave a low whistle as Maurice seated himself to wait. The blood mounted to his face at this indignity, and rage took the place of mortification, but he could only nerve himself to endure with assumed composure the scorn he so little deserved. It was a half an hour before Mr. Emerson entered. "'The business which brings me here is so important that I took the liberty of waiting,' said Maurice, rising. Mr. Emerson answered stiffly, "'Have the goodness to walk into my private apartment.' Maurice obeyed. Mr. Emerson was one of those reserved men who never choose the initiative in any transaction. He motioned Maurice to take a chair, then seated himself in the attitude of a listener. "'I am placed in a position which renders explanation very difficult,' commenced the vicomte. Mr. Emerson assented by a half-bow, but did not in any manner assist the speaker. "'Nothing could have astonished me more than the letter I have just received from you,' continued Maurice. Mr. Emerson lifted his eyebrows a little incredulously and crossed his legs, but still played the auditor only. Maurice, galled by his supercilious manner, said, in a tone of irritation which he repented a moment afterwards, I presumed that you had no doubt that my conduct justified your letter? None, replied Mr. Emerson, with quiet severity. "'You were wrong. You did me the greatest injustice,' cried Maurice. "'And unless you can credit this fact upon my bare assertion, I have no means of convincing you.' Mr. Emerson smiled sarcastically. "'You do not seem to me desirous, sir, of learning in what manner this mistake has arisen, even if I could make it clear.' "'You are right,' returned Mr. Emerson. "'I do not see that it is a matter which further concerns me.' "'But it concerns my honour,' began Maurice angrily. He was checked by another contemptuous smile from Mr. Emerson. "'I see, sir, you are not disposed to allow me to defend myself, or to encourage me to enter into any explanation.' "'I have said that the matter no longer concerns me. "'Then I will not occupy your time with a vain attempt to change your opinion of me,' but will proceed at once to the request I have to make. "'I shall feel obliged by your doing so,' said Mr. Emerson, in a manner which intimated that he wished to close the interview. "'All I ask,' proceeded Maurice, "'is that you will take no further steps until—' 
"'I have no further steps to take,' interrupted Mr. Emerson frigidly. Maurice looked puzzled, but, imagining that Mr. Emerson did not choose to understand him, he added, "'I mean, in plain and language, that you will not make the affair public, and that you will not institute legal proceedings until the repayment of the money loaned obviated the necessity for legal proceedings,' returned Mr. Emerson, in the same cold manner. "'The repayment?' exclaimed Maurice, in amazement. "'What repayment? What money?' The ten thousand dollars loaned to you by me, somewhat rashly, and without examining a security which proved to be valueless. In spite of Maurice's astonishment at this unexpected communication, the arrow of this reproach did not miss its mark, but he only said, I am to understand that these ten thousand dollars have been repaid. They were repaid about an hour ago repaid who could have repaid them how is it possible maurice uttered these words to himself rather than addressed them to mr emerson but the latter answered briefly the comtesse de gramont my grandmother impossible it was not in her power she knew nothing of the transaction mr emerson continued without noticing this assertion an hour ago i dispatched a clerk to brown's hotel with a receipt for the money my grandmother repeated maurice musingly and unable to credit the possibility of her interference you will find the information i have given you correct said mr emerson rising the hint was too marked to remain unnoticed by maurice in spite of his bewilderment and he also rose if I had been aware of this fact, I should not have trespassed upon your time, sir, for it is not difficult to perceive that you have formed an opinion of my character which cannot readily be altered. I men by their actions rather than by their words and manners, a very homely rule, sir, but one which is not subject to change at my time of life. The vow which closed this sentence was to pointedly a parting salutation to be mistaken maurice returned it and without another word went forth he hurried to brown's hotel in the hope of unravelling the mystery meantime the countess de gramont had been thrown by the reception of mr emerson's letter into a state of excitement almost equal to that of maurice over and over again she read the few lines acknowledging the sum of ten thousand dollars sent by her and the information that the legal proceedings about to be instituted against the vicomte de gramont would be arrested the letter was in english thus her difficulty in comprehending its contents was increased and although she was tolerably conversant with the language she imagined she must have misunderstood the words before her. The countess requested Bertha to read and translate the letter. Aunt, cried Bertha, what is this about ten thousand dollars? You cannot have sent this gentleman ten thousand dollars, and yet he makes you a formal acknowledgment that the money has been received. There must be some error. The error itself is an impertinence, returned the lady does this low person imagine that the comtesse de goyemont meddles with business matters 
with the sending of money and receiving of receipts at that moment maurice entered and his grandmother taking the letter from bertha and placing it in his hand accosted him with no little asperity of tone what is the meaning of this he glanced over the letter hurriedly and replied it is of you that i should ask that question my grandmother and i must also ask how i am to thank you for making me so deeply your debtor and at a moment when for the first time in my life my honour was implicated your honour implicated your honour the honour of a degraymont what do you mean had you not in some inexplicable manner become aware of my position and paid those ten thousand dollars with such liberality and promptitude i should have been i cannot bear the thought the very remembrance of the position from which i have been extricated cuts me to the soul are you mad maurice demanded the countess i pay ten thousand dollars for you what do i even know about money then the money was not sent to mr emerson by you inquired maurice more bewildered than ever mr emerson who is mr emerson i have never heard of the person maurice turned to bertha the idea at once suggested itself that she had used her aunt's name to conceal her own generosity and you bertha do you also disclaim all knowledge of the transaction yes i only wish i had known it was not you then replied maurice more and more astonished who could it have been i have no intimate friend in washington but gaston de bois and he has not the power to do me this service was he aware of the circumstances which made you need this sum asked bertha he certainly knew something of the transaction but i do not think that is enough she replied joyfully if he knew anything about it i know from whom the money came there is but one person who could have sent it and that is madeleine madeleine yes madeleine our own generous madeleine returned bertha monsieur de bois is her trusted friend and counsellor the countess de Gremont rose up majestically white with rage but what right has she the mantua maker the tradeswoman to make use of my name how did she dare even to allow it to be suspected that i had ever come in contact with a person who has so demeaned herself it is unpardonable audacity you little know the full value of the service she has rendered me explained maurice unheeding of his grandmother's anger a service which you must not and shall not stoop to accept never will i consent to that returned the countess fiercely would you profit by her ignoble labour has your residence in this plebeian land bowed you as low as that if replied maurice it be a blow to my pride to be forced to accept her aid 
for it has been tendered in a manner which cannot now be declined it is a blow which has lifted me up not bowed me down it has made me feel that a great spirit which humbles itself and bends meekly to circumstance and does not regard any toil nearest to its hand as too lowly that spirit has truest cause for pride since it earns the privilege of serving others you have yet to learn that madeleine's timely assistance has saved not me alone but our whole family from disgrace ay positive disgrace if you would know more on that subject i refer you to my father for myself i will seek madeleine and discover whether she has indeed made me so greatly her debtor the countess would have detained him but maurice was gone before she could speak he had alluded to his father as involved in this mysterious affair which the countess was now tremblingly desirous of solving she sought count tristan he was in the drawing-room where maurice had left him he sat beside the table his hands clenched his head bowed his face rigid in its expression of stony despair he looked like a man who awaited the sentence of death the entrance of the countess scarcely roused him nor did he hear or rather heed her first address but when she placed the letter received from mr emerson in his hand and asked him if he knew what it meant he sprang from his seat with a sudden burst of half-frantic joy who has done this he almost shrieked out who indeed returned his mother it has been suggested that it may be one of the evidences of madeleine's presumption i can scarcely credit it i can scarcely believe that she would have had the audacity to use my name or occupy herself with the affairs of my family yet there is no one else it is like her it is she may heaven bless her for it cried the count stirred by a sudden impulse of genuine gratitude i must have confirmation i must go to her at once yes go to her replied his mother but let it be to inform her that we disdain her bounty that we are astonished at her temerity in offering it and that we never hope to hear from her again count tristan had left the room before his mother had finished speaking an act of disrespect of which he had never before been guilty exasperated by his manner even more than that of maurice and dreading the result of their interview with madeleine the countess resolved herself to take a step which would make her niece conscious of her true position and of the light in which her presumption was viewed by her aunt she determined to follow her son to madeleine's residence and to give her a lesson in the presence of the count and maurice which would be the last he would ever need she had rung the bell to order a carriage when bertha entered learning her destination and its object bertha expressed her intention of accompanying her and to this the countess could not object End of chapter thirty one